afternoon. It's Rob Porter on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. We are going to talk with uh, North Dakota Superintendent Kirsten Baszler a little bit later in the program, uh, coming up at 1, about uh, teacher shortages in North Dakota. Some of the effort, It's really sort of a chronic problem, Atil, of finding people at times to fill some of these teacher positions. Yeah, especially in rural areas. Uh, I know yeah. that my the school where my mom works had some openings that it took them right up till the end to really fill them. It's uh, it's well, some. I mean, they they end up they sometimes have had to like cancel classes and stuff. You know, it, it's tough to find people. Uh, North Dakota has taken some steps, just in terms of allowing some flexibility when it comes to, you know, the the qualifications required for these positions. You know, to, to get some people in there who are perfectly capable of filling those positions, but maybe, um, I don't know. I think sometimes we get a little bit carried away with the credentialing, and I think sometimes it morphs from being something that we use to ensure a degree of, of professionalism and, cap- you know, capability f- for the position, and it becomes about, like, sort of protection, right, for for the occupation, and then that harms us in places where, you know, it's already challenging to recruit, you know, for rural North Dakota. It's unfortunate. Sometimes people don't like the idea of living in rural North Dakota to work at some of these schools, which is unfortunate because rural North Dakota is a wonderful place to live. But it is what it is, I guess. So anyway, we'll talk with the superintendent about that. Also, I got a story here about uh, immunization rates in the state going back up. I think this is really good news. Absolutely, it is. We were we were down pretty low. Uh, we were ranked 27th in the uh, in the nation for the MMR immunization, the measles, mumps, and rubella. Rubella. Yeah, I always pronounce. I always want to call it rubella, which which I think makes it sound like a vegetable. Yeah, because that, that's know. rugula. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, that's it. Is it rug- or arugula? Arugula? Rugula? Arugula. 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 Yeah. You're right. Arugula. All right. I was thinking of rutabaga. Uh, but we're not talking about that. Or rutabaga. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Sorry, I derailed you. I am completely derailed. The MMR, rubella immunization. Um, we were ranked for 27th. We shared that ranking with uh, with four other states. Uh, we were at 89% immunization uh, two years ago. Uh, we're now back up to 93.8%, um, which almost matches the national median, which is 94%. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, it's, and part of it is schools cracking down. Uh, we do allow an exemption. You know, it, it, that's pretty easy to get from the state of North Dakota. But in some of these instances, you know, they, the parents weren't even bothering with the exemption. They just weren't getting their kids immunized. And there is actually state law. If you don't get the exemption and you don't get your kids immunized, they're not allowed to come to school. So school's cracking down a little bit on that, and uh, we can talk about that because I want to hear from some of the some of the people who are opposed to these vaccinations because I just don't get it. I don't understand why we're not doing this. I understand that there are sometimes very specific medical reasons for this, but I also think there's a bunch of baloney out there that's floating around about immunizations, and I honestly don't get it. I mean, this is a good thing for our society. Um, I, I think that keeps us all healthier. Uh, also, oh, you know what I want to talk about? Let's talk about, uh, this stuff with, uh, last, last week, uh, President Donald Trump issued some executive orders regarding Obamacare and then also came out and said that he was going to end, uh, what are called the CSR payments, which, which are essentially their subsidies for the insurance companies that sell individual plans on the health insurance marketplace. 
the Obamacare exchange, basically. Um, the federal government was essentially subsidizing these insurance companies so that they in turn would turn around and, and sell these policies. Now, the thing is, is that's not actually legal. Um, the Obamacare law doesn't actually allow that to happen. That's been in court for a while. There is at least one federal court which has ruled that those subsidies are illegal. Now, that was currently being appealed, but the fact of the matter is the law didn't support it. So all this debate about whether or not uh, you know, we should provide, and I, I see North Dakota's Democrats and Heidi Heitkamp are out there sort of slobbering at the mouth about this, how terrible this is, that we're not going to be paying these subsidies anymore. But before we even get anywhere else, they're illegal. But even above and beyond that, so the idea is today our insurance commissioner came out, and he had been on this program previously talking about this, and at the time you know, he kind of said he wasn't sure what he was going to do. He has come out and said, because for 2018 his office has already approved premium increases for 2018. They approved them earlier this year. So now President Trump comes along and says, okay, well, we're not paying these subsidies anymore. Well, the insurance companies are then saying, well, Okay, well, that means we gotta we got to charge even more for premiums. So the insurance commissioner's office is saying, no dice. We've already approved them for 2018. We're not going back. He sent out a press release today, uh, and that's essentially what he told the insurance companies. Uh, and by the way, there are about 22,000 North Dakotans who have coverage uh, from the exchange for, for an individual insurance policy. Um, what's getting ignored by all of this, right, because, you know, they were talking about maybe as much as like a 10% premium increase resulting from President Trump not paying these subsidies. Ignoring all of this is what is what Commissioner Gottfried had already approved for increases for these policies before President Trump did anything. And I'm looking here. This is from his press release. You can read the full press release at sayanythingblog.com. And I'm looking here. And for 2018, for Noridian Blue Cross Blue Shield, a 22% increase, 22.6% Average premium increase for individual plans sold through the Obamacare exchange, 22.6%. The Sanford plan uh, saw an almost 8%, 7.9% increase. Uh, the Medicare health, health plan, now remember, they pulled out of the individual policy on, on the exchange. They're not selling it anymore. But they had been approved for an 18.8% increase. So that's essentially where we're at, is... Already, before President Donald Trump had done anything, we were already seeing these premium increases go up. That's the part that everybody's missing, right? We're all having this this wrestling match about what President Trump did and whether or not we ought to continue to pay these subsidies and how it's going to hurt North Dakotans and everything else. And the, the politicians are all, you know, wrestling about it and slobbering all over each other about it and setting out press releases. And, I mean, even Senator Heidi Heitkamp, oh, I'm a bipartisan. I'm, I'm going to work with Republicans. Although she can't find a single Republican idea that she wants to work with, ever. She just says she wants to. But anyway, I mean, they're all, they're all da- off down this rabbit hole. And in the meantime, people on the Blue Cross Blue Shield plan and the individual plan, they're getting a 22.6% increase. That's just amazing. It's amazing to me. I mean, it was it was called the Affordable Care Act. Now you tell me what's affordable about a twenty two point six percent increase in your premiums if you're on the Blue Cross Blue Shield plan in this individual marketplace, and on an individual policy in the exchange. What is affordable about that? I mean, we're 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 debating 
you know, the, the, the provisions of a failing health care plan. Obamacare is failing. We shouldn't be wasting any time debating this stuff. We should be debating something new to replace this with. Unfortunately, Republicans have failed in that endeavor, despite controlling Congress and the presidency. Hopefully, they'll get their act together. Going to take a break. Love to hear what you think. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. It's just amazing how, how we're, we're seemingly paralyzed by this debate over health care. I mean, the status quo is not working. The status quo before the current status quo wasn't working. And the problem is, is you have politicians and it's 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 really just about protecting constituencies i mean the insurance companies love the direction that we're heading right i mean everybody likes to demonize the insurance companies rhetorically but they love where we're going i mean essentially we've we've created a mandate to buy their product and you know they're they're winning i mean they're this is great for them you know maybe not the exchanges specifically which they're all pulling out of but anyway i mean this is it's frustrating because the truth is th- this is not really that that complex a problem, I, at least in terms of identifying the problem. I mean, the problem is too much government, too little flexibility. I mean, we don't really have a way. We want to treat everybody as though their health insurance needs were the same. And not everybody's health insurance needs are really, in fact, the same. And we have we have boxed the insurance companies in to a point where they can't just create flexible plans that give you what you want to pay for. And and with you understanding that what you don't pay to get covered, you may end up having to pay for it out of pocket. Like these these are all factors that you should be allowed to understand. Right? You you should be allowed to figure this out for yourselves. But yet you know, it becomes this I mean, really, Obamacare, I don't think, was ever intent, really intended to be, like, long-term policy. I think what it was intended to do is a stepping stone for the progressive left towards single-payer health care. The thing is, is that single-payer health care is just not ever going to fly in this country. It's just not something we want. We're not Canada. America is not Canada. We're not Great Britain. We're not Japan. We're just, this just isn't going to fly. We are not going to have single-payer health care in the United States of America. But what we're stuck with... Because Obama, Obama, President Obama successfully got his foot in the door towards that end, is now we're sort of stalled out, stuck on this this rickety bridge that Progressive built, trying to get to single payer health care. And if we stay on this bridge, eventually we're all going to fall in the river. It's not a good thing. So I, I mean, it's 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 just it's just amazing to me. I mean, everybody's talking about what what Trump ending. These, again, illegal subsidies for insurance companies in the individual Obamacare exchanges. Everybody's talking about the, you know, the rate increases that's going to expire. And I'm watching on social media as all North Dakota's, you know, liberals are, are 
in their their little um, you know clicks on social media, you know, pounding their keyboards away at it, and, and we're missing the larger point, which is that we're seeing big premium increases even to even despite that. It, it's really amazing how how capable we are sometimes of just talking past the real problem. And really, I mean, that's, that's it's the hallmark of a successful politician. I mean, people like Senator Heitkamp, they're really, really good at this stuff. They are really, really good at getting the press and getting the public to look past the actual problems and focus on the parts of it that are convenient for them to talk about. Right? I mean, that's what we're doing. So now we're debating what President Trump did and not the larger issue which is that Obamacare's got to be replaced by something that actually works. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. And I hope we get there at some point, you know, but <laughs> it's almost an election year now, and the idea of getting anything done during an election year that's meaningful reform, well, it seems like a long shot, right? Because that's going to be the priority. It, it, I, I can tell you, for about the next year, the priority of the politicians is not going to be sound policy that allows you to make choices and, and, and to succeed and to prosper for yourself and your family. That's not going to be the priority. The priority is going to be getting reelected. Now, maybe sometimes those two interest groups, maybe those two interest groups or interest sets, I guess, overlap at times. But not really. I mean... The politicians just want to get reelected, you know. I mean, Repub- Republic. I mean, look at. I I I think I think the Republican approach to healthcare reform is a perfect example of this because what they did is they told the voters what they wanted to hear. We're going to repeal and replace Obamacare, and they campaigned on it cycle after cycle after cycle, and then they get in office, and it turned out that apparently that's not really what they wanted to do. At least not enough of them to get something through Congress. Caller Ken, you're up. Well, there were plenty of them. There just wasn't all of them. You had about, as it is with herding cats, you get about three or four that wander away. And as this thing is set up, because you're going to get zero Democrat help or you know or vote, so then you've got what a 53 vote. You know, you have to have everybody, and so you get you get a, a Susan Collins and a John McCain, and you're about dead. And then you start. You know, dealing with the murkies out of Alaska when they know, hey, I'm the swing vote. I want this. I want this. I want this. So I've always said Obamacare is not going to be, you know, done in by politicians. It's going to be done in by itself because it wasn't a very good, you know, program to begin with. It was always meant to be diddled with later, and it never will be, be, you know, monkeyed with later. Therefore, it's got to live or breathe as it was born, and it's not very strong. I think I think you hit it exactly right, Ken, when you said that Ob- Obamacare. I, I don't think was ever intended to be successful as it passed Congress back in. But they what was got hamstrung because of the death of Ted Kennedy. So they, 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 it never went to conference. It never went back and forth. I mean, it was just the the first pass of the legislation, and. Even by Democratic standards, there was going to be some sort of fiddling and adjusting before Obama signed it, except Ted Kennedy died and Scott Brown came in, and now you didn't have 60 votes anymore, and they had to go with the only plan 
that was well, that there. doesn't make it okay, though. I mean, they... No, 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 that's just the reality of it. It wasn't yeah. a good plan to start. But now that's yeah. what is in law. And what oh, Trump is kind of smirkily saying, all right, you know, Obama was there to do the phone and a pen thing to prop it up for years. I'm not going to prop it up. So, Congress, do your job. I actually like that Trump's doing that. You can argue, okay, what he's doing is going to hurt some people, but really what he's doing is he's saying, you know what, Congress, do your jobs. Legislate. Yes, do and your quit, job. quit relying yeah. on, the, on, on, on the president to, to put to. Band-Aids and, uh, on everything. And there's plenty of pain. That, I mean, the, the press will vo- focus on the pain that will result from what Trump is doing, but they're not day in, day out. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go to a break, Ken. Ken, I gotta go to a break. Thanks for the call. Uh, I, I, and by the way, we're blaming Congress, but I think Congressman Kramer's got a point. The House has been passing bills, problems in the Senate. More to come straight ahead on the Rob Report. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, On the show lately, we've been doing this segment. We've been calling it Headlines or whatever, run the rundown. Uh, it's it's basically where Natil and I collect some uh, headlines from around the world or around the state or, I don't know, whatever the heck interests us, and we run them down and we talk about them. And Natil, you got some headlines for us today. I do. We're going to start off with uh, something that ties back into something we talked about Fairly recently, we talked about obesity being at a record high in the U.S. Well, as it happens, North Dakota is now ranked second in the nation for childhood obesity. You know, I saw this, and it doesn't pass the smell test for me. It and doesn't. I, 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 I know that's completely subjective. I, I know that maybe it's wishful thinking. I just don't want to think. It just doesn't. I look around. I, I don't see it. I I, I I think there's something wrong with the methodology. I, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to measure this. I just don't see it. I look around. I'm not seeing it. Well, it, the study that was done, or was it was data collected by the Resource Center for Child and Adolescent Health, and they estimate that more than 9 million children ages 10 to 17, which is where they're figuring childhood obesity, um, more than 9 million of them are in the U.S. here, and that 26,000 of them are from North Dakota. I don't know. I, I just I, I don't I don't think I, I look around. I don't see it. And it's it's not just that I, I want to think highly of our state. I don't want to think that, you know, we have fat here. But I look around. I think our kids are pretty healthy. I, I, you know, I, I really don't see. I, I, I really don't see it. I, I just don't. I, I'm, I, I would need to see more data. I, I, I think maybe more data for more groups or whatever before I buy into this. I, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying it's not true. And I'm not saying it's unimportant. We ought to just ignore the issue. I'm just saying. I don't think, relative to other states, I don't think North Dakota's got that big of a problem. I just don't. All right. Well, we will wait and get more data because I'm sure, I'm sure more studies are going to be being done now, especially with adult obesity at a record high. Something's got to get done. And yeah. the best way to fix it is probably going to be to start with the kids. Just my, my instincts tell me that's, that's crap. But what's next? Not even Lincoln is now being spared the wrath of statue topplers. And I'm not talking, you know, George Lincoln random confederate soldier i'm talking abraham lincoln 16th president of the united the, the states great, the great emancipator yes the great emancipator liberator of slaves 
now has apparently some issues at a college where there's a statue. Uh, what, what college is this? The University of Wisconsin in Madison. All right. There is a statue at the top of what is known as Boscombe Hill. It's one of the most beloved sites on the campus, and graduating students and their families will often wait in line for hours in the spring to take their picture in the lap of this large statue. Okay. Uh, but there is an indigenous student group called Wunk Sheik that doesn't share the sentiment, and they are charging that a statue of Lincoln has no place on campus, saying, and I quote, Everyone thinks of Lincoln as the great, you know, freer of slaves, but let's be real. He owned slaves, and as natives, we want people to know that he ordered the execution of whoa, native whoa. men. Wait, Lincoln owned slaves? It's wrong to say that Lincoln ever owned slaves. I mean, like, I don't, the, the, the factual knowledge of this student, this speaker, this group is bafflingly low. I, I, I like that quote, because what is, I'm, she, I, I'm, I'm, it's a she- I I, th- I think it's a she. Um, she says, "Oh yes, M- uh, Misha Johnson, the co-president of." Just the way relations. she's wording this is is such a caricature of like millennial campus activism, right? Everyone thinks of Lincoln as as the great, you know, freer of slave, freer of slaves, right? Oh, come on, I, he, uh, Abraham Lincoln did not own slaves. Abraham Lincoln was an abolitionist. As a matter of fact was the founder of the Republican Party as an abolitionist, right? I mean, the, the first Republican president was Abraham Lincoln, and it was an abolitionist party. As a matter of fact, Lincoln himself was viewed as being something of a radical in his day because of his anti-slavery views, his abolitionist views, right? He was He was viewed as being radical because he wanted... To, to, to go into the South and free the slaves, whereas other people were, were you know, a little more. Other abolitionists, even of his day, were more conciliatory. So, you know, maybe it's got to be time. It's got to be a process. And Lincoln, his election, uh, you know, at, at the time as president of the United States, because he was had such a staunch view on slavery, was seen as something that was very provocative. And, and in some ways, some people arguing it may have precipitated, you know, been, been the final straw that broke the camel's back to put us over the edge into the Civil War. Now, to say that Lincoln um, owned slaves is just factually inaccurate and, and completely historically ignorant. And I would hope that somebody who is apparently taking college-level courses would be aware of this particularly before we could start, you know, throwing a noose around the neck of a Lincoln statue and trying to pull it down. Well, that was only part of her arguments. And to give her the tiniest smidge of credit, which I am sort of amused to do in a reluctant, tongue, perhaps well, no, in a tongue in cheek kind of way, because she she mentioned that he ordered the execution of native men. And he did. He was the president of, during the Dakota War of, Dakota, 18, that's right. of 1862. Yeah. And he authorized the execution of 38 Dakota men out of more than 300 that had been convicted of war crimes in military tribunals. So these men had been convicted of war crimes. Right. And he only ordered the execution of 38 of the 300. So I will tongue in cheek. That seems. And and listen, I don't I don't. Yeah. And and I don't I, I know you and I certainly don't want to trivialize the execution of anybody. No, absolutely. The Dakota not. War, Dakota War, obviously a very complex chapter of American history. Um, you know, and I would I would even need to know more about this, I think, before I could cast judgment on on Lincoln for it one way or the other. But, uh, you know, 
And, and Lincoln also had some other provocative views. I mean, he at one point supported maybe returning slaves to Africa, which I think today probably sounds crazy. But at the day, you've got to th- in the day you got to think a lot of these slaves probably, you know, weren't probably all that probably came from Africa in the first place, or and, maybe were just a generation to go back or two to their families removed from. Right. I mean, they, that may have legitimately have been a good option. Put them back in Africa. Maybe they can go back to their tribes, their families, their communities there, and and. Maybe that would have been a good thing, but Lincoln, you know, by modern standard, gets sort of held out, you know, like that was a a racist point of view or whatever. Um, I I don't know. It, it, I, again, I, this is going back, and any any given historical figure, whether it's Lincoln, whether it's George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, they're complex, and. History they weren't they weren't 100 percent. These were not saints. These are human beings. They were as capable of anybody else's making mistakes as capable of anyone else's be, of being hypocrites. I mean, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. He also wrote all men are created equal. Right. So this was clearly a conflicted man. And that's worth study. And we don't learn more about this great figure in American history by ripping their statues down. So. You know, it's 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 abs- it's gotten crazy out there. It is absolutely crazy. I mean, this is this is Fahrenheit 451. It's it's we're gonna we're gonna burn books and rip down statues of anything that makes us feel uncomfortable. And it's well, it's- you'll be you'll be happy to know that this statue is going nowhere. The university has said that it has no plans to remove the statue. Good, good. <laughs> and, and by the way, interesting because Wisconsin actually played um, Wisconsin sort of famously nullified federal law. Uh, the Fugitive Slave Act. It was one of the, one of one of the um, a, a lot of times like like states' rights and state nullification of laws. Uh, that issue gets tied up in the Southern states' fight against you know federal efforts to to emancipate slaves or, or to roll back slavery. You know, and they assert it right. And a lot of people mm-hmm. say, well, the Civil War was about states' rights. But on the other side of the court, in Wisconsin actually nullified the Fugitive Slave Act, where slaves who escaped from the South to Northern states, you know, those states were supposed to help you know, capture those slaves and return them to their owners. Wisconsin refused to, to go along with that and, and nullified federal law. So anyway, a little footnote on all that. Well, we can't go a day in the rundown without talking about the NFL and the kneeling and oh, the blah, blah, blah. But now we're... Well, it's not going away because everybody's doing it now. I so. know. But now we're getting into the financial ramifications. Um, a credit, I guess, sussy? Suisse. Credit Suisse. There you go. I was like, I have no idea how to pronounce that word. I've read it plenty of times. I've never had to say it out loud. Uh, A Credit Suisse has said that CBS earnings are going to be disappointing due to their weak NFL ratings. And people are tying it to the kneeling scandal. I am not surprised. And I I mean, listen, uh, whatever you may think, whether you you support the cause of the people kneeling during the national anthem or you oppose it, they're going to lose this fight. The NFL is going to lose this fight the players are going to lose this fight because what they're doing is insulting, right? It's, it's again, you are successful at politics by through addition, not subtraction, right? So if you want your, if you want your issue to win, you've got to add people to your movement. Kneeling during the national anthem is a good way to subtract people from your movement and also apparently subtract people's from the NFL's audience. Now I don't, I think the NFL will recover for this because eventually they're going to get a handle on these protests and you know i mean frankly that the players have a lot financially at stake as well so as merchandise sales fall as ticket sales fall you know they're gonna have to figure something out 
Uh, and really what they ought to do is they ought to figure out a better way to, to spread this message other than kneeling during the national anthem. If they really care about the issue, then well, and it, it stop sounded, the obstinance on, on kneeling during the national anthem and, and find a better way. It sounded like the NFL owners and the players were going to be having some sort of, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a summit necessarily, but something like a summit where they, yeah. they're hoping to start talking about better ways for the players to be using their voice and their platform to, to get the messages that they want to get across across without, you know, hurting the business that they kind of need to keep being a business if they want to keep making their paychecks. Yeah. So I mean, they, they got to figure out something. And it's and to me, it's not the players shutting up. I mean, I if, if they care about these issues, fine. You know, go out there, advocate for them. But I'm telling you, kneeling during the national anthem you're distracting from your message. If you really care about these issues, find a better way. Absolutely. We'll turn our attention to one last story here before we head into the break. Um, I don't know if you had heard, but there was a very large attack, a bomb explosion in the capital of Somalia. I did hear about that. Awful. 300 people, I believe, is the number um, of deaths in that attack right now. And... The, the news coverage, I guess, nationally hasn't really been focusing on it, but it's really having an effect here in North Dakota because we have such a large right. Somali refugee population. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's really striking a chord and really concerning a lot of the, the refugees that are here, especially in Fargo. I, I can't even imagine what that's like to, to leave. I mean, because for a lot of them, the reason why they're here is the strife in their home country to begin with right i mean that's the reason why a lot of the, the refugees right i mean they they come here and that's why they're here and then they look back and they just see it getting worse and it's it's got to be a feeling of of helplessness i i can't uh, even imagine and people who want to get upset about these these refugees being here and things like that i i can't I can't imagine being upset about refugees coming to my area when something like this happens where they're from. I mean, this this killed more people than any of the attacks in in England or in in France. Uh, there was the the attack with the car plowing into people. This was a this was a truck packed with explosives that just blew up and it in fact killed a Minnesota man. A Minnesota father from Bloomington who was in Somalia to apply for a job with the United Nations. Yeah. Well, it's 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 a terrible situation. Uh, you know, I, I, I think there's still I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the, the refugee resettlement issue. I mean, there's so many factors of that. I, I don't know. I mean, are we helping them by bringing them here, or would it be better to, to try to fix what's going on in their homeland? I mean, I, I I guess it's great that we're getting people out of Somalia and they're not living with that strife, but on the other hand, how does the strife ever get resolved if we bring so many of the good people and, and transplant them and have them living somewhere else? You know, I, I think there's a side of that argument to look at as well. I, I don't know. I'm glad that people here are safe. I'm sorry for what's happening in their home country. And my biggest problem is just that nobody's talking about it. Yeah. I, I wish it was getting more coverage. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, all right. Well, that's it probably for the rundown. So uh, let's take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Rob Report on 970 AM 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Dwayne emails in on the uh, kneeling situation. We had a story in the rundown about CBS uh, ratings in de- on decline amid the kneeling protests. According to Dwayne, it has nothing to do with kneeling. Numbers were dropping for years, mostly due to streaming, crappy games, and saturation. Thursday night, Sunday night, Sunday night, Monday night. Uh, it's too much. Uh, maybe I, I don't know that much about football. I don't. I don't watch it. It's. It's not really my thing. But I, I do. It. It does seem a lot. I, I. I always thought one of football's strengths was that all the games were on Sunday, and then you had the one game on Monday. Like I. I felt like that was. I'm not sure that spreading the games out to so many different days is is helping them. Maybe it's diluting their brand. I. I don't. I don't really know. Uh, but but to say that it's not the kneeling, to say that the national anthem protests are having nothing to do with the ratings and nothing to do with declining merchandise sales or anything else, I think is a stretch. You know, it doesn't have to be an either or situation. They can all be contributing. This could maybe maybe there already was a, a, a declining trend. I guess I don't know for sure. I haven't looked, but even if there was a pre-existing trend, maybe this accelerated it. I don't know. Um, what was the drop in that CBS story? I mean, it was pretty. Wasn't it like a seventeen percent decline? I'd have to grab the story again here real quick. Yeah, I think it was like I, I think it was like a seventeen percent decline, and if that's if that's the number, it was significant. If I remember that right, it was significant, and I don't I don't think you can just say, well, that that's just part of an already existing trend. Uh, five five percent. Oh, five. Okay, well, never mind then. That's still, I mean, five five is significant, but that's that's the um, that's the third quarter earnings. Reduction. The seventeen percent you're referring to is their ratings. Their Sunday yeah, okay. NFL ratings are down. Okay, 17%. yeah, that's yeah, seventeen percent. That's what I thought. Okay, so seventeen percent down. I mean, that's significant. That that's a big number, and I don't think you can just attribute that to, you know, just fatigue or just streaming or whatever. And, and by the way, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure like CBS and a lot of those like you could stream those online too. I'm pretty sure CBS is like like those rate like CBS isn't just ignoring the fact that a lot of people are are accessing their their broadcast via internet the internet streaming so I don't know it's not a good thing I don't think it's helping at all seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine email talk at wday dot com well I've been getting a lot of flack you know we had on. Last week, uh, an expert, a scholar from Berkeley, talking about wind energy, and he had a report about the state of Minnesota, and his argument was essentially that that you know all this investment we're putting in wind energy isn't helping as much in terms of reducing emissions as a lot of people think. I wrote a couple of columns about it. The blowback has been pretty interesting. There are, and I, I think a lot of it is, real, and I did make a small error. A lot of people are focusing on that. I think I said that the subsidy was 23 cents per kilowatt hour. It should be, I moved a decimal point. It should be 2.3 cents. But the larger issue is there are a lot of people invested in this wind, in wind energy right now, and it's a bubble, and I think a lot of them are feeling scared. Anyway, uh, Superintendent Kirsten Baszler joins us in the next segment. We're going to talk. We talk a little bit about this immunization thing. I also want to talk about uh, her efforts to address teacher shortages. All that here on the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Past you on the street. 
street that they should let that rest come fly away like any chance I had of keeping you like the northern wind blowing yeah my lonely heart was frozen never knew I'd find a way to break yours too where the wind blows baby you can bet I'll be riding high with it holding on for my welcome back Rob report here on 970 WDAY 701-293-9000 888-970-9329 email talk at WDAY.com I had a little drink mishap on my desk. That's what was going on. You scared me. I was like, oh, Lord <laughs> Almighty. No, I'm here. I, uh, Stop I'm spilling now. things. <laughs> I'm a little wet, but we're going we're gonna to make it through because, damn it, I'm a professional. All right. Uh, we are, uh, we're going to persevere. Uh, Superintendent Kirsten Baszler joins me. Uh, hopefully, Kirsten, uh, your day is going better than mine. I, I think I ruined a keyboard. I'm sorry to hear that, Rob. My day is going just fine, so hopefully yours gets better, too. Yeah, well, I hope so. This was my favorite keyboard. It was one of the mechanical keyboards. I type a lot. I liked this keyboard. Oh, well. All right. Well, that's, yeah, I, didn't bring you on to, I didn't bring you on to talk about computer peripherals. Uh, North Dakota, we've had really a, a, a chronic teacher shortage for a long time. And I, I think it's really a bigger problem than a lot of people realize. Now, this situation has been getting better of late it tells about it i mean first of all i describe the scope of the problem and, and help us understand how it's getting better you know you're right exactly right rob it it is it is a chronic shortage and and we're not unique this is a this is a shortage across the nation and actually it's a shortage across the world the teaching profession is just really taking some hard hits all across our world particularly in the united states and north dakota is not immune to that it really reached its ultimate, um, I think, crisis peak in the 2015-16 school year, um, my third year in office. And I had created a task force at that point. In, in the 2015-16 school year, there were 141 alternate access licenses issued. And at that year, we formed a task force to really identify what was contributing to the problem and how we might be able to go about solving it. And, you know, the, the normal issues that arise in every state, there's, you know, teacher pay is an, is an issue, teacher um, respect, the professionalism, you know, the profession isn't as, as respected as it once was, the, the rural isolatedness of going to our small class B schools was a problem for our teachers that were just graduating from teacher preparation colleges. So we set about to really kind of solve that problem and, you know, on top of that, we were at a, a point in time in 2015-16 school year where our unemployment was low uh, across the state and everyone was having a challenge filling their job positions. And teaching and education was, was not immune from that either. So we did institute some things, and I'm really happy to, to say that we have only issued 25 alternate access licenses this school year compared to 141, our ultimate peak in 2015-16, and even last year we only we had issued 83. So I think what we're doing um, is making a difference, and we just need to continue to make sure that we have qualified people in front of our students teaching math and science and um, welding and family and consumer science and all the important things that our students learn in school. Uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, because it's a complex issue, and there's no, I mean, there's no one factor in it that's that's addressed that that's causing the shortage. Let me ask you this: Is, is the shortage uniform across the state? Because what I hear sometimes is that it's it's mostly the rural areas that have a problem, and that a lot of times the more urban areas, you know, the the the, the Fargo's, Grand Forks, Minot, Bismarck, places like that, 
a lot of times actually have like like waiting lists almost to get teacher positions in. Is that is that true? Is that an accurate representation of what's mm-hmm. going on that it's mostly the rural areas? Well, yes, you are absolutely correct, Rob. I, I, you know, it used to be true that Fargo and West Fargo and Bismarck had waiting lists, if you will, for, for any and all positions. Our, even our large school districts are experiencing teacher shortages in the specialty areas like special education or family and consumer science or egg teachers. But absolutely what we discovered is that this tends to be a problem for our rural and our rural isolated districts. I worked with the university system during the interim period between the 15 and 17 legislative session to really dig into this and find out exactly what we were dealing with. And um, Dr. Skogan uh, at BSC had done some research and, and took a look at the, the scope and the mission of their university system. And part of his, his, his work was to identify whether the university system was graduating the students um, that were filling the job needs of North Dakota. What he discovered um, during that research was that we truly are graduating enough students with teaching degrees to fill all of our positions in the state of North Dakota and anticipate the retirements that will be coming uh, forward for the next several years. The challenge is that those students are graduating from University of North Dakota in Grand Forks, um, Bismarck State College through Dickinson, uh, Dickinson State University in Bismarck, the University of Mary, uh, North Dakota uh, State University in Fargo, and they've gotten used to having a Starbucks or having a mall or having a movie theater, and so they're graduating with a teaching degree, and they want to teach in that same, if you know, if you will, metropolitan area. And so, rather than going out and teaching in a small rural Class B school, they would prefer to not utilize their teaching degree, stay in that Fargo area, that Minot area, that Bismarck area, that Grand Forks area, Dickinson area, and use do something else for their profession rather than going out. So that's kind of what led us to the legislative um, bill that we introduced in 2017 session to help us encourage and motivate, entice our students to go teach out in those rural isolated areas. Let me ask you something about the, the perception of teaching, that it's not as respected. Expand on that, because that surprises me. Sure, absolutely. You know, I think personally, one-on-one, that parents really love their classroom teachers of their of their students and they really respect them and so i think when you have that one-on-one conversation that you wouldn't have a you would have very few parents or very few community members say that their third grade teacher wasn't the greatest or that their you know high school math teacher didn't do tremendous things for them but generally once you get to that 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 um, beyond that localized level there aren't a lot of people that are encouraging their own children to go into teaching. Um, they're, you know, if they're, they're, they're good at math, they want them to become engineers or, you know, maybe a research, you know, just have a more professional degree. And so um, for, for general society, teaching is not a profession that we would encourage our children to go into. I have, personally, I've encouraged all three of my sons um, at a point and, and to go into some sort of education. Two of the three have, have agreed that that's the route for them. But for the most part, as a, as a, as a nation, as a state, we don't encourage young people to become teachers. Even teachers don't encourage their young, the best and the brightest of their students in class to become teachers. So I think that's a problem. And that's something Seven. we should work on. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. And let me ask you this question as well. And I, I brought you on to talk about the teacher shortage issue, but there was also an article out in the Grand Forks Herald about immunization rates raising 
uh, after schools crack down, and, and you're quoted in this article as well. But is this – tell us what, what's happening with this. How, how are the schools helping raise vaccination rates or immunization rates? So there is – North Dakota law requires that um, if a student is not immunized and, does, and the school does not have uh, on, on file a record of full immunization, the law says that that student has – or that parent has 30 days to get those immunizations completed, and if not, that student is to be barred from our public schools. That is generally not the approach that our schools preferred to take because you can't really teach the math, science, reading, and and the, the reading and writing skills if they're not in school. So um, there were many school districts across the state that really were reluctant to take that hard-line approach, even though the law said it. Um, so over the last few years, um, there have been a lot of people working together. The Department of Health, um, school districts, or county health, our local school districts, DPI, working together to kind of educate and, and help people understand the importance of the immunization. And if not, at, le- at the very least, having that um, on file that the parents have, have um, decided not to have their children immunized and to have that on record at the school. So we're working to make sure that all of our students um, that are attending our schools in the public spaces are protected from, you know, a, an outbreak of measles, mumps, you know, all of our all of those diseases that um, our students are getting immunized for. So, so, so really, a, a more maybe a more um, thorough enforcement of existing policy. Is that fair to say? A very, very fair study. That's an accurate, accurate description. So now that our principals, our superintendents, our school districts are aware that they actually have that responsibility, that, that obligation in law, they are becoming more, um, they're becoming more aggressive in enforcing that at their school district, saying simply, I'm sorry, the immunization records aren't on file. Your student can't come to class until those records are on file, those immunizations are up to date, or that you have filed um, an, uh, an objection and filed that, place that on file in our school. But I think the important thing to focus on is that it has caused a lot of collaboration, I think, among state agencies. And I think that's what we really need to drive for is the county health and county nursing services are now collaborating with our local school districts to say, how can we make this easier for our parents? You know, can we come in kind of like in the olden days? I mean, like when I was in school, the nurses came to school and we did our immunizations. That was very, very convenient for my mother and father in a small rural school in southwest North Dakota. So I think we're bringing back more of that interagency collaboration and partnership. So that was a good thing. Yeah, I agree. That's good to hear. Uh, Kirsten, thanks for your time today. Uh, Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for having me on, Rob. That's Kirsten Baszler, Superintendent of Schools. I'm Rob Port. We'll be right back after this. 701-293-9000. You want to join in? 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Just finished talking with uh, Superintendent Kirsten Baszler. It sounds like we're making some uh, some progress on the teacher shortage thing. And I'm also I, the the part about that I really liked was was the increased collaboration. We're going to start getting serious about immunizations again uh, because I, I I think a lot of fa- there's been a lot of misinformation put out there. I think there's been a con- a, a a concerted effort to undermine immunization as a practice. And 
you know, I, I, I think I think there's a role here to push back. I am not a big government person at all. Um, but you know, immunization is 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 a pretty is a pretty. If if there is anything under the sun that is a legitimate subject for public health policy, it's immunization. Uh, and it, it just amazes me the people who push back. And I, I mean, I'd like to hear from some of you. I mean, what do you think? We are we had gone from a situation where we were 27th in the nation in terms of immunization rates for MMR, measles, mumps, and rubella, not arugula, right, Natil? Rubella. Or a rutabaga. Uh, <laughs> well, we shouldn't laugh. This is this is serious. We are 27th in the nation. We were 27th in the nation. Now, we've gotten that back up. We're about 0.2% off the uh, the national median, uh, and that's a nice turnaround. Um you know, but even despite that, there is still an uptick in the number of people who have, uh, who are opting out. Um, that drives me so insane because the, the fact exemption, that the, the, the fact exemption that, rate. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I was just gonna say the exemption rate reached 3.14 percent in the 2016-2017 school year. That's up 0.5 percent. Uh, or a six-fold increase over the period. That's up from 0.5% in 2000, or a six-fold increase. So we went from 0.5% of parents opting their kids out of immunizations in 2000 to 3.14% uh, by the, the school year that ended in 2017. Six-fold increase. I mean, that's amazing. And again, I think that speaks to that campaign out there to undermine immunizations and vaccinations as, as a practice, as public policy. When you mentioned earlier that there are legitimate health reasons, very rarely, to not immunize a child against measles, mumps, or rubella with with the MMR vaccine. If if the child is allergic to something or what have you in the vaccine, and it those parents are the parents that super want you to keep vaccinating your kids because we need the herd immunity to keep those children safe. Yeah. No, that's that's absolutely true. And again, I, I am not because every time this comes up, people say, well, there there are medical reasons to not get vaccinations. And that's true. There are legitimate medical reasons sometimes where, where you want to avoid vaccination or, or immunization. Um, you know, there's I, I and I'm trying to remember them off the top of my head. But I mean, there, there are I, I know they're out there. there. There are specific things that you could be suffering from where getting an immunization for you is not the best idea. And that's what you were just talking about, Natil, to protect those people who medically cannot get the immunization, that's why the herd immunity is so important. If you're healthy and you can get immunized, you should get immunized. And, I, I mean, if, if you're out there, I mean, if there are religions out there or whatever that, that are preaching against immunization, gosh, I, I got to think shame on you. I, I would like to hear from some of you. I mean, for those, some of you out there who are against vaccination, what do you think of this trend? Because it seems like in North Dakota, we put our foot down a little bit. We started telling some of these parents, listen, without and, – and getting an exemption in this state's not that hard. But basically telling parents, listen, if you don't get your kids immunized and they don't have an exemption, they ain't coming to school. What do you think of that? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, we'll be back right after this. We're going to take a break. Don't go away.
Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. You just heard Eric, earlier in the program we were talking about this thing with the uh, the Trump and he, he, he cut off the, the subsidies, subsidies for the insurance companies selling individual plans on the exchanges. Uh, and now I guess there, there may be some sort of a deal in works in, in the Senate and I don't know. Uh, Natil, do we know if that if the deal? Because uh, I was trying to find reports for it online, I I couldn't find anything during the break. But is this is it a deal with the Trump administration or is Congress like like a deal in the Senate? Like Congress going to act? Well, it sounds like um, it's a bipartisan Senate deal uh, that would basically the deal in principle with Trump himself would restore subsidies for two years, basically reversing that yeah. second executive order that trump made because he made the the first one that oh i don't remember what the first one did anymore because he made two different executive orders well, he, made, on he, made, he made the executive order and one was you know we uh, it, it would it loose loosen up regulations on like association plans that's so if you the belong one. to that's a plumber so, yep. yeah so he did that it was a series of executive orders and then and then the other one it wasn't really executive orders he just said the administration's basically Maybe it was an order. I don't know. It was an executive action of some sort where he just said, we're not going to pay these subsidies anymore, which, by the way, the subsidies are illegal. They're not they're not allowed for under law. It was something that the Obama administration was doing illegally and the Trump administration stopped it. Now, Congress could fix that by changing the law. And I guess that's what we're going to do. But you know what? If I were Trump, I wouldn't take this deal. You know what I'm saying? Because two years, you know what that does? That gets it past Election Day. And you know the, the Congress does this all the time on on every issue under the sun. We're, we never do permanent lawmaking anything anymore. Everything is this brinksmanship. Everything is well. We'll make a deal and and we'll go along to get along for a little while, and that allows us have you know allows them to avoid doing any of the the hard work of actual reform. I mean, look, they do it with uh, the, like the debt ceiling all the time, right? Or or budgeting, right? Where we do, okay, well, we'll just do a continuing resolution. We don't even pass budgets anymore. We do a continuing resolution. Well, we'll 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 continue things at, at current levels, and and we'll go along. Uh, here, Natil sending me the article on this deal. Um, it's it's all really just sort of happening right now as we're speaking. Yeah. So there's not a lot of information about out about it right now. Yeah, but. this is from this is from CNN. Senators Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray have reached a deal in principle to restore Obamacare cost sharing reduction payments for two years in exchange for more state flexibility in Obamacare. Uh, according to two Senate aides. Um, now, the problem here is to get this through, you'd have to go. I, I wouldn't go through this. I mean, this is, you're moving around deck chairs on the Titanic. I wouldn't agree to this. I, you got to keep their feet to the fire. If they want to fix this CSR thing or the problem that it's going to create, then overhaul Obamacare. Fix the larger issues, right? Instead, we're going to go to war and we're going to play brinksmanship over this small stuff and nothing's going to get fixed. The bigger problems aren't going to get fixed. Don't let them do this because this is what Congress always does. This sort of baloney. It's frustrating. We were talking about vaccinations, though. Uh, I guess we'll see on that other story how it goes forward. Uh, talking about the issue with, um, oh, first of all, Aaron had an email about teachers. He asks, could the small communities incentivize new graduates to commit to a given amount of years in exchange for tuition reimbursement or loan payoffs. You know, I think we try to do some of that already. Um, you know, we try to encourage, you know, teachers, and I, I don't know all the specifics of those programs off the top of my head. I, I know they're already doing some stuff with 
um, with you know the the, the tuition readjustments or, or whatever or tuition waivers or, or whatever for teachers who agree to to teach at public schools. I don't know if there if it's something that could be done at the local level. I suspect that the problem the locals have is I mean if you're talking about a rural school, you, you're already probably talking about a pretty small property tax base. And their issue to begin with is probably funding. I mean, if it, if, if they could afford to do something like that, uh, to pay off the tuition of, of their, their teachers uh, or, or somehow mitigate that tuition or whatever, they would probably just pay the teachers more, just in, increase the salary. I mean, the problem is that they just don't probably have the funds to do that. And in order to get those funds, they'd have to raise property taxes. And we all know how that debate goes because people don't like their property taxes going up. So... That's sort of the situation that they find themselves in. Now, you know, maybe there's more that could be done along those lines at the state level, but, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure. I mean, you've got to do something because ultimately at the end of the day, what you've got to do is you've got to convince teachers to willingly make a choice to teach in some of these areas. And, and a lot of them just, they just don't want to live in rural areas, you know. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, more pay, more compensation can maybe turn some heads, but – it's a tough thing, and I, I think the states, and it's it's not unique to North Dakota. As Superintendent Baszler said earlier in the program, this is something that's happening all over the country. So uh, another email, getting back to the vaccination issue, Joe asks, um, Rob, the anti-vaxxers are a result of essentially the government pretending that our vaccine schedule is 100% safe. It is not 100% safe. It's more like 99.9% safe. The federal government passed legislation to make it unlawful to sue for vaccine injury and set up a fund and special court to deal with vaccine injuries, of which it has paid out literally billions of dollars, something they don't want to advertise. Uh, A very small percentage of people are sensitive to vaccines, specifically the MMR, in the aggressively short time frame vaccines are given. Uh, Doctors are able to screen patients to see if they are potentially in danger of getting hurt and yet they don't test anyone for fear of giving any legitimacy to anti-vaxxers. Side note is the more serious vaccine damage is called vaccine-induced encephalopathy, whose symptoms resemble autism, uh, essentially caused by extreme fever and cook the brain from vaccine injury. I don't know how how accurate any of that is. Um, I do think it's interesting, like like being afraid of the anti-vaxxers. I mean, that is a – as somebody who has been targeted – by the anti-vaxxers at times for some of the things I've written in favor of vaccinating people, they're militant. I mean, they are a militant group of people. They believe what they believe. Uh, and yet they're, they're a relatively small portion of the population. Now, it's growing, but Natil, I mean, given all the attention that, that the anti-vaxxers get, and they get a lot, and they're very, very noisy, and they can, you know, in terms of a, of a debate or a political discussion, can move the needle – but the exemption rate in North Dakota is at 3.14%. I mean, that's not that's not very big. The overall vaccination rate uh, is at, we're at 93.8%. I mean, that's not, that's a relatively small portion of the population. Now, it's still too many, and we'd still like to get higher. And if we drop the rates too low, you know, I mean, we were at a point where uh, we were at 89% vaccination rate for, for the MMR immunization and, I mean, that was a point I was reading where that was putting herd immunity at risk. So we can't really afford to lose too many. But, I mean, it's a relatively small portion of the population, but they are militant about it. And I just don't I just don't understand it. I, I, and, again, outside of the very small portion of the population that has a legitimate medical reason 
not to get vaccinated, there's really no reason to do it. And I understand maybe some people that they don't like the way it's done uh, at at you know at the school or, or you know if the school's doing them or or they're doing them at the school or whatever. You don't like how they're done. You feel like they're done too quickly or whatever. These aren't hard to get. I mean, you don't just have to go to your, I mean, you could go to your, you can go to your local district health unit. That's where I took my kids a lot of the time. Uh, you could go there and pay them. Uh, and even if, if you can't pay, I, I, I'm certain that there are avenues that uh, you could get the immunization anyway and pay at a reduced rate or whatever. I mean, this stuff is available. You could get this stuff. And you can also do it on your timeline. So, if I mean, you can even go to your doctor. If you have health concerns about your kid getting the, the immunization, you could go to your doctor, and you can make sure that your doctor does it in a way that respects your kid's specific health needs or your specific health needs. Uh, my larger argument is outside of very specific medical conditions, there's really no reason not to do this. Got a caller, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Um, I, I guess I... Uh... My my kid is old older now and whatever he doesn't have an issue but I have a, a close friend that has studied vaccinations has gone to seminars on it does counseling on it and she has got she has swung me to being much more uh, cautious about vaccinations in general uh, there's a I just got an article according to Barbara. Fisher of the National Vaccine Information Center, one highly vaccinated child in 45 develops autism in America today. That is unbelievable, and it's getting worse. I don't, wait, 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 what what was that source? The National Vaccine Information Center? It was uh, the National Vaccine Information Center. And, Mm. uh, but... One and highly. That's a that's a that's a nonprofit. That's 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 a nonprofit. They used to be called Dissatisfied Parents Together. That's a nonprofit group. I mean, are are we sure that they're speaking with authority? Well, um, they've done all kinds of surveys of six to twelve year old vaccinated and unvaccinated children based on reports from mothers themselves. And I guess the thing is, is um, uh, a lot of the if you if you look. I've I've seen several sources, and the 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 change from 1960s to now for, from autism, ADHD, ADD, all those 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 things are skyrocketing. Right? Yeah, but is and, that but is that because you know, is I, that is that because we're is that because we're detecting them more? I mean, the, I mean the thing is, could, is is you know that could be, but I don't remember this many kids having issues in school. When you talk to the teachers and you talk to the people in the schools. It's much more prevalent now than it was even 30, 40 years ago. And I think it's, it's, it's not just the vaccinations, but it's, uh, it's the um, food we eat, the stuff we're putting on it. We are, we are killing ourselves. I don't know. Uh, really, I... Rob, honest, look, look into it a little bit deeper before you make that judgment because the, the autism rate has climbed a great deal, right. I think. And, I can tell you that the, the, know, the... But, you know. The, the National Vaccine Information Center is not, they are an anti-vaccine organization. So, of course, they're going to find the conclusions that they want to find. Uh, I don't think that's a credible organization to be looking at. But thanks for the call, Mike. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. We're talking about the vaccination situation. Uh, immunization rates are back on the rise in North Dakota after schools crack down. And essentially what they said, listen, if you don't have a valid exemption, and they're pretty easy to get under state law, but if you don't have one of those, then your kid's not coming to school, which I feel is legitimate. I mean, this is a legitimate public health issue. Too many people opting out of this for no really good reason at all. Your kid's healthy enough to get the immunizations. You just don't want to because maybe you're believing junk science you find on the Internet. You're putting the rest of us at risk. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com if you want to weigh in. Uh, Kevin did. Kevin says, uh, Natil, you might like this. If someone doesn't want to vaccinate their child, make them financially liable for all costs associated with an outbreak traceable back to the child. The problem with that is that it's very difficult to trace back yeah. to a patient zero. I it's mean, not, it's, it's possible. It's not a practical thing. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely not. And the costs associated with the trace back would be astronomical. Right. I mean, I, th- I think you want it more as a deterrence, telling people, listen, you could be liable if, if for, for an outbreak. But, I mean, how do you even trace it to, like, to one kid? I mean, that just seems unlikely. But I, I think the larger point is I understand the sentiment. I mean, this is it is, it is frustrating, uh, to, so, so some of the anti-vaccine stuff. Now, if, if you want to be out there and you want to say, listen, vaccines, there's something that we can improve. There's something that we can make more safe. If you want to raise awareness for the fact that that for some people you medically can't get vaccinations, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I I am all for the constant endeavor to improve everything we do from generating electricity to building automobiles to vaccinating people for diseases like I I am. That is I I really I I think a lot of ways that the meaning of life is is to is to get better at doing things and try to leave a better world behind us, right? I mean, that's that's the point. So if you want to say, listen, let's make immunizations better because they're not perfect, you know, nothing is perfect, no human endeavor is perfect, then fine. I say, let's focus on that. But these disinformation campaigns out there that, it, oh, it causes autism and we've seen these spikes. And I and also, I, I think that last caller, Mike, and I, I don't want to pick on Mike because Mike's, you know, Mike's got heartfelt convictions about this, but I mean, p- part of the problem is, is I, it, there is there is fertile ground for misinformation in convincing people that things are really bad right now, right? So, so you heard what Mike talking about, like, oh, you know, these kids they're out of control, and we're seeing more, you know, issues with autism and all this other stuff. It's easy to fool people with with data like that because you know, for instance, PTSD diagnoses have skyrocketed. Right. We, we are we are saying today that more people have PTSD than we did back during like World War Two or World War One. Right now, is that because soldiers today are under more stress has has battle and, and, and the gore and the bloodshed that happens on the battlefield somehow become worse? No, we have learned more about the impact of that sort of traumatic event on human beings we have become up with a label for it. We're beginning to understand the symptoms and understand how it could be treated. And we've named it. We've labeled it. And we, we've, we're now detecting it. We're understanding it. And so the same is true of things like autism. We're starting to understand this better. So, of course, yes, more people are being diagnosed with autism. Does that mean more people have autism today than 30, 40, 50 years ago? I don't know. 
I don't know that we really have that data because you know what? We didn't really know what it was before. It's also super important to note that autism is a spectrum and right. that the lower end of that spectrum, also known as Asperger's, those pe- these people are completely fully functioning members of society. It can be hard to detect. It can be hard to discern in some people. Right? Is that the point you were yeah, making? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the, the idea that, you know, every child that's diagnosed with autism is just completely out of control bothers me. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that was his point. I, I think it was no, more. No, no, I know. I just, I, just I think, I think, to... I think his point was more sort of a kids these days type of thing, right? And I, and that attitude's out there. I mean, every generation thinks the generations coming behind them are, are lazy and out of control and everything else, right? I mean, the, look at it. Listen to all the millennial bashing that goes on out there all the time, right? A lot of it's unfair. A lot of it's just, I mean, that's just what we do as human beings from one generation to the next. The problem is, is when we start leveraging that sort of anecdotal observation, which isn't entirely accurate, and using that as a basis to formulate public policy. Boy, that's a bad way of going about business. Anyway, Jay Thomas Show coming up next. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday or 24 hours a day, seven days a week on SayAnythingBlog.com. Congressman Kevin Kramer on with us tomorrow. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Oh, yeah.